Well, that definitely will be a fine day when that happens. Won't it? Can I get an amen? amen? All right, there we go. What a powerful way to wrap up the Lord's Prayer. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Although this ending is not found in Matthew or Luke, and I don't know if you knew that, it is a part of the ancient church shortly after the apostles. It's included in the earliest teachings of the church in a book around 125 years and formed the first catechisms of the church, books known as the Didache. So it appears in that, and it's become the tradition within prayer and liturgy to say this final phrase. It's also included as a part of tradition that stems back to the Old Testament. Because usually after a prayer, there is a blessing, and the blessing is to God. And so this is the way we wrap up the Lord's Prayer, and just instead of saying amen, we say, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. It returns our focus on summing up the whole meaning of the prayer that we've been looking at for the last month. It not only returns us to our mark and our confession of God as our Father, but it shows us our trust in Him, that He has prepared us for all things. He gets us set and He sends us off into the world. This closing reminds us that we get our daily bread from him and all that we need. It reminds us that he is the one who forgives sins. It reminds us that his holy will will be done. And particularly, since we're coming off the last two petitions, this kind of builds in this ending. Bring us through that hour of temptation. That hour in which Satan would want to pull us off that confession that God gives us everything and lead us into following our own wills and desires. And the last temptation, deliver us from the evil one himself. Not only through the sacrifice of his son to set us free, but Deliver us from the evil one. God puts his armor on us. And we went through that description of the soldier. So we look to God alone to snatch us from that roaring lion who walks around seeking who to devour. But we want to look at three things in this last, in the closing, in the blessing of the Lord's Prayer reminds us of three things. Thine is the kingdom. The kingdom belongs to Him. We remind ourselves, yours is the kingdom. The kingdom is not ours. Meaning, this is not my church. This is not my doing. We don't exist because of constitutions and bylaws of the political structure of the church, the legality under governments and authorities. We did not build this church. 
And when I say church, capital C, I mean everyone else who is worshiping God this morning in other congregations or other denominations. The kingdom belongs to him. The congregation and our meeting is a result of what he has done. It does not depend on us. In fact, if we were to close, God forbid, as other congregations have, the kingdom is still his. And his word is still the way that we belong to his kingdom. Matthew and Luke have the passages where most of the occurrence of kingdom talk happens in Matthew alone 112 times because he's writing to Jewish people and they understand kingdom because it's all through the Old Testament. And Jesus comes on the scene and John the Baptist says, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is near to every one of you. And then Luke says in Jesus' words in our gospel today, the kingdom of God is in your midst. God establishes his kingdom through Christ. When he went to battle, as we read in the scriptures, every time he encounters demons, they ask, leave us alone. Is it our time to be destroyed? And then he cast them out. They say, we know you. You are the son of God. Leave us alone. That's because wherever Christ is, there is his kingdom. He doesn't come with just good news. He comes with his kingdom. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead to establish God's kingdom on earth. Jesus Christ is our mark, the foundation of our kingdom, and that's what we have been saying. We stand on that confession. It's the cornerstone of the building that we live in. It's the cornerstone of our faith. Christ is the word of God. He establishes his kingdom through the word of God. The kingdom is our home. It's our home in this world. You know, I was at a conference last week, Monday through Thursday. I hate conferences and meetings. It was a good conference, though, but I just, I hate conferences and meetings for the simple reason is that very few times does it lead to action. I guess that's why. Plus, we started at 8 and we ended at 9 at night, and we only had three periods of 10-minute breaks <coughs> besides 45 minutes for lunch. So, and in Wichita, Kansas, two-hour time difference, I just about caught up with time by the time we had to leave. But the best thing about conferences is coming home. Isn't that the best thing about vacations, too? Oh, let's go on vacation. Oh, it was great and everything, but I'm glad to be home. Sometimes we have to come home from a vacation to take a vacation from the vacation, right? There's something about home 
after working all day, you come home, familiar sounds, familiar faces, kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, your favorite comfortable chair, your food is there, you know exactly where the crackers are, the ice cream is, or the kale in the refrigerator, or the quinoa that you're going to cook. You know where it is. You could be blindfolded. You're at home, at home. You have a drink, a beer, a snack. You unwind. You could walk around the house in a bathrobe. You could walk around the house in no robe. <laughs> That's how comfortable you are in your, in your home, right? It was so hot in Panama, and I'll go no further. <laughs> Let's face it. Although there is work to be done at home, home is a place to react, to relax. You can let your hair down. You surround yourself with the things you love and enjoy in life. When you're at home, you are with the people that you love, the people who care about you. This church, this congregation, is the kingdom of God, and it's our home. This kingdom is our home. This is a place of security from a heartless and violent world. We can kick off our shoes, we can let our hair down, we can relax, we can laugh, we can praise God. If Lutherans danced, we could dance, right? If Lutherans clapped and waved their hands, we could do that, right? If it was part of our tradition. We should find refreshment here. We should find strengthening from the weak, in order to go back out. Look around you. I don't see any heads turning. Look around you. <laughs> Everybody probably has a mental map, right? Okay, Judy sits over here, and Priscilla sits here. No, no, look around into the eyes of the people who are your family. These are your brothers, and these are your sisters. They will come to your aid if you need it, and you will come to their aid if they need it. They will love you, and you love them. This may be the family you never had growing up. Maybe you came from a dysfunctional family. Maybe you came from an abusive family. For some people, this kingdom, this home, is a family they never had. People who pray the Our Father, who never had a father figure, God is the father they never had. This is the home that perhaps many of us never had. In this family, you have a father who gave his life for you. And you have brothers and sisters. You remember how it was as a kid when you'd go over to someone else's house and play? That's kind of like here. You'd go over to someone else's house, you'd come back, Mom, at Tommy's house they do this and that and this and that and this and that. Or maybe, Mom, Tommy's mom and dad are mean. Or maybe the opposite. Maybe they're better than you. 
there's other houses that are outside the church. Houses that are confession and life is based on something else other than Christ. We are an outpost in the spiritual battle that we have been talking about for the last two weeks. An outpost in the dictionary, a small military camp or position at some distance from the main army used especially as a guard against surprise attack. A remote part of a country or empire. We are an outpost. We are an oasis for the world. The word church comes from Kirka in German, but the word in the Greek is ekklesia. We get ecclesiastic from that. And ecclesia means to be called out of, to be called out from the world. In this case, to be called out from the world to form an outpost that is based on something completely different from the world. We belong to this outpost. What we have found here, we offer to anyone who comes through our doors. We invite them to the family that we know is love and forgiveness. We are an oasis of refreshing water and comfort. We call in those from the street, much like in the parable, where Jesus says, Nobody's coming to the feast. Call in those who are on the street to come in. Because when we're invited, nobody is worthy. We're invited. And so God's word invites us. The kingdom right here is the answer for families who have no purpose. The kingdom right here is in our midst. Not because we create the kingdom, but because God is in our midst. The same way in Luke, when Jesus says the kingdom of God is in your midst, he's referring to himself. I am in your midst, and where I am, the kingdom of God is. Those who suffer injustice find justice here. Those who long for love find love here. Or at least they should. We also have yours is the power. Not even the power is ours. I know. I've got the power. Boom, boom, boom. No, no. God's power, right? It's God's power. It's God's kingdom. It's God's power. Outside these four walls, the world has a different power. The power in the world is a struggle for survival. Dog eat dog. Violent, abusive, Self-seeking, careless in that it cares for nothing else but self. Look at our political system. Look at our inner cities. Look at our banks and executives and CEOs, right? The whole companies. Greed, power, money, wealth. A different code of power out there. A world that offers temporary pleasure. But we know within these four walls, that is in his kingdom, the power belongs to God. Thine is the power. 
Every place where God's word is preached, every place where his sacraments, baptism, and the Lord's Supper are celebrated, because they are his word, there is the kingdom of God, and there is the power of his word. In other words, through his word, he has taken the hill in battle. The cross on the hill is the flag. It's the standard. He put a flag on the hill in the ground, his son. He emptied Satan of his power when he rose from the dead. And we have an empty tomb. God's power is love. God's power is grace. God's power is forgiveness. Restoration, reconciliation, rehabilitation, restitution, reformation, reestablishment, and reuniting us with a God whom otherwise we would not know if it were not for his word and invitation. Because he's not found outside these four walls, he's found here. The kingdom is here. His word is here. His power is here. We are reconciled with him. He did this and brought us into the kingdom by staking a claim on us in our baptism. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, in the Old Testament, they put a T, the letter Tau, on the person who was in the kingdom and safe. Here, the name of God is on us. It's as if we're wearing a sign across that says, untouchable. When we're out in the world, we are untouchable to Satan. We have been claimed. We are part of God's family. By his power, Satan has no dominion over us. He can tempt us, and that's what we pray for. But we are delivered from the evil one. No power can overthrow that claim. Satan is cast out. For this reason, in the ancient church, baptism was seen as a rite of exorcism. Which is also why the Lutheran church, as different from the Catholic church, does not have a rite of exorcism. It is baptism. Because where Christ is, Satan has to flee. There is no power. Yours is the power does not mean, however, that we are powerless because he gives us his power like he did his apostles when he sent them out to witness and said, you're ready, go. Where you speak my word, there's power. My word through you is power. The comfort you give others, the love and forgiveness you show others is my power through you, a conduit if you will. Jesus says in Matthew, all power and authority is given to me, therefore go. You're on your mark. You're saved. You're ready. You're set. Go. Bring them into the kingdom. We have that song, right? Bringing in the sheaves. It's a nice song, but it means we're bringing in people who are otherwise perishing in the world who do not have hope. And we have a kingdom where God is present all the time. Now, in Matthew's passage, right before he says, go and make disciples of all nations, there's also a pass right before it. He says, and the crowd of people were standing around and they saw Jesus and some doubted. 
Some doubted. Maybe that Jesus rose from them. Maybe, maybe that's not Jesus. Maybe it's someone else. Some doubted. But he still gave the mandate to them all. Even in the face of doubt. Because his power convinces all doubt. I was never in the military. But those of you who were, I can imagine that even if you doubted the command of a superior officer, and even if you were afraid and the commander said go, what would you do? You have to go. Right? In the confidence that the commanding officer knew what he was doing and that he had the power and the authority. But you had to go. Now, God isn't a general, but he's telling us to go. Even if we doubt, even if we say, Lord, I can't do it, he's saying, rest in my power. My word is your power. And we are to proclaim the gospel, not preach it. Difference. Proclaim is to cry out. And gospel in Greek is good news, and I'm sure you've heard that before. But this good news and the word that's used for it relates to spiritual battle. It relates to wartime language. There was a messenger who carried back to headquarters when a battle was won. And that's called gospel because he would run and say, we won the battle. That's the good news and it's a military term. We won the battle. We won the battle. That's why we proclaim the gospel, because we announce in the world the battle's done. It's like the cockroach when you step on it and the legs keep going. That's Satan, right? That's, the legs keep going on the cockroach. The battle's won. Right? Now, I know that as a kid, I used to like play around and listen to the crunch and everything like that. The battle's won. The point is, we don't have to fear anything. All we have to do is proclaim. There's nothing more that needs to be done. We announce it to others. And you know what? The final thing is, is yours is the glory. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. And yours is the glory because that's why we're, we were created. And that's what Revelation is about. Who's worthy to open the scroll and read it is the Lamb of God who sits on the throne in all wisdom and power and honor and glory are His. Now and when he returns. We were created for his glory. We as people, his church was created for his glory. So these beautiful words sum up. And in the end, when our Lord calls us home and when he returns, we will be seated around that glorious throne and singing and praising him in his kingdom not bothered by the world. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Oh, I forgot the little doggy. The little chihuahua chasing. That seems to be us right now. You see that chihuahua cannot hope to overtake that rhino. What is that little dog doing? But that little dog's got power that doesn't belong to him. He's got to have fire. He's got to be throwing, you know, all care to the wind there because we can maybe nibble his toenail. But, you know, 
That's us. We're going to keep after Satan and the world. We're going to keep after. We're going to keep running because the power does not belong to us. We don't run and chase in vain. Amen.